0: So today from John chapter 4, we're going to turn our attention to the encounter of Jesus and the woman from Samaria. And and this encounter in John 4 is certainly one of the most unexpected and surprising encounters. Um, Well, in the Gospel of John, who knows, maybe beyond that. This encounter in, in John 4 is filled with such rich themes. It's almost as if we've opened up a wooden bee box and we've extracted a honey-laden frame and, and we're holding it up in the sunlight to look at the translucent nectar. And so rather than look at all of the frames in the box, I just want to look at one. This morning what I want us to do is I want us to just consider the circumstances and events which led this encounter with Jesus. I want to look at the specific decisions that were made for Jesus to meet this woman at the well in Samaria. Now, as we continue over the next couple of weeks in this chapter, looking at this encounter, because it deserves that kind of attention, we'll go back to the beatbox and we'll grab another. Did I say beatbox? We'll go back to the beatbox and we'll grab another frame and we'll look at it closely as well. It's for this reason. The Jesus that we meet at the well in Samaria is the Jesus we all need to meet. So let's look at what led him to this place. Now, some people say that these uh, decisions, these series of events, that they were part of a calculated, carefully designed plan. Others say they were a series of unconnected, random events I would say it doesn't really matter because there's beauty and there's brilliance in both of these options. And so from verses 1 through 6 this morning, we're going to consider this main idea, that this encounter with Jesus invites us to encounter Him in unexpected places in an unexpected way. Let's pray together again. Father, now as we open your Word, would you meet us here? Would you meet the hearts that are weary, looking for water, and would you give us life? Would you meet the hearts that are struggling because they've tried to live by their own way of life and it just hasn't worked out? Wherever we meet you, whatever reason we are meeting you today, we pray that you melt the clouds of sin and sadness, that you drive the dark of doubt away. Open our hearts and minds to understand the truth you have for us. For we pray in the blessed name of Jesus. Amen. Now, let me read to you from John 4, just the first six verses. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. This is God's Word. Now, in the opening verses here in verse 1, we discover the extent to which Jesus is actually trending. I mean, the latest polls show him polling significantly higher than John the Baptist. The religious leaders are concerned about what the people think about Jesus. They're willing to admit that he teaches as one from God. They're willing to admit that he does things as could be done by only one who comes from God, but that's as far as they're willing to go. And so it's a little concerning to them. They're getting concerned that Jesus is growing in popularity. See, apparently the latest edition of the Christian Chronicle has come out. And in the Christian Chronicle, it's reported that Jesus has baptized more people than John the Baptist. And I realize that's really an inside joke. But the Bible is telling us that the the religious leaders, they're concerned... Because Jesus is baptizing more people than John the Baptist has baptized. That's fascinating to me. Like, who's keeping count? And even John wants to give us a parenthetical statement there in verse 2 that Jesus himself wasn't actually baptizing, but his disciples were. And so this is a reason for them to be alarmed. It's a a cause for them to be worried. Now, it is such a fun sentence in verse 1. I mean, look at it again in your Bibles. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, we're right back in junior high. That's exactly what this is, right? Well, I heard that he heard that you said that she said that you said about me. And I I mean, that's what's going on here. When Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard, and so this prompts in Jesus a decision. He's going to do something because of what he learned that the Pharisees had heard. And so, aware of this, that that, that he's facing this scrutiny, that he's facing this pressure, in verse 3 we learn that Jesus has decided to leave Judea and go to Galilee. He's decided to leave and escape away from the pressure of the people, from the scrutiny of the Sanhedrin. Now, this is the first decision that Jesus makes in John 4 that it was time to leave Judea and head for Galilee. So Jesus gathers up the twelve disciples and they put Roscoe Flats in the soundtrack, probably an eight-track, and while they're trekking along the trail, you can hear the song, Life is a Highway, I Want to Walk It All Night Long. Which leads us to the second decision that Jesus makes. We pass by it almost quickly, as we read these verses, a lot of times when we get to John 4, we want to get straight to the well. We want to get straight to the conversation that Jesus has with this woman, and we, we miss a couple of things. And so in John chapter 4, it leads us to the second decision Jesus makes, and that's the choice of route to travel, which makes us pause just a second for a geographic note. This geographic note is brought to you by the National Geographic Foundation that reminds you to visit their world-renowned archives in the Josh Zahn building on Pickwick Park Place. I realize now that I didn't load the map that I was going to show you. (laughs) So we're going to play weatherman, right? Okay, so imagine that the bottom of the screen here is... Judea, okay? And the top of the screen is Galilee. Now, Judea is just a region, okay? And Galilee is just a region. So, Jerusalem is a city in Judea and Sychar and Cana, for example, in Galilee is just a city in Galilee. So, Jesus is deciding to go from one region to the other. Now, there were at least three routes that you could travel back then, if a, if a person was traveling, whether it was a pilgrimage on their way to Jerusalem or whether it was somebody headed to Galilee, there were three ways that you could travel. Uh, one way was a short way, and one way was a long way. Now, the, the long way to get to Galilee, the region of Galilee, it was about a five to seven day walk. So this is a, this is a pretty significant commitment. And, and this route, it would require you to cross the Jordan River. I'm bound to cross. And then you would travel on the Transjordan Highway through the Gentile territory. But right before you got to the, to the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, you'd have to cross back over the Jordan again. So you've got to cross the river once Travel that highway in Gentile territory and cross Jordan River again in order to get to your destination if you were going to somewhere in Galilee. So about a five to seven day walk. Now, there was a short way to go as well. And this walk was about a three day walk. It was more of a straight line right up through the middle of the TV. So what's the problem here? I mean, why are we even talking about this? Right? Why, are, why is it a debate whether or not you want to go the long way or you want to go the short way? Well, first, the short way was not the safest of ways to go. Uh, it was a perilous way to go for travelers. But understand that we have at least 13 people in this party of Jesus. And listen, don't make any mistake at all. Some of these disciples know how to handle themselves. Right? They know their way around a dark alley. Uh, But there's another problem with the short way and that the short route takes you through Samaria. Which doesn't mean as much to us today as it would for a devout Jewish person of Jesus' day. Now, let's look at it this way. Say we're in Branson, okay? And we want to go from Branson to the church building here. And for the sake of this example, Branson is Judea and Jerusalem, and, and so that's where Jerusalem is, and that we get to be uh, Galileans, okay? And the church building here is in Galilee. Now, say you decide to walk from Branson to the church building here. There's at least two ways you can go. There's a short way and a long way. Now, the short way is the straightest shot. You just start below the TV, and you just walk straight up. But the problem is you're on foot And you have to walk through the Gary Busey State Forest. And like Gary Busey himself, it can be a little sketchy. It could be a sketchy place to be, right? And so you you see that I want to walk, and it's the shortest way. Now, if you were to do that, if you were to leave Branson on foot, it's about 39 miles, so it's going to take you about 15 to 20 hours to get your destination. That's the short way. Well, what if you don't want to walk through the Gary Busiak State Forest and Rehabilitation Center? Well, then you've got to go to West Branson. You've got to go to Reed Springs. You've got to go to, I know I feel like the weatherman. You've got to go to Highlandville, right? You've got to go through Nixie. You've got to take the loop and walk all the way around. That's over 60 miles of walking. And so if you're on foot That's going to take you a little bit longer than 15 to 20 hours. That's going to take you at least 24 to 30 hours of nonstop walking. Now, why would you even consider going the long way? Because you want to avoid the undesirable area, you want to avoid the undesirables that are in the undesirable area. And so for a Jewish person in the time of Jesus, it was a real quandary which route to choose because obviously they wanted to make good time, but they also wanted to avoid contact with Samaritans at all costs. You know, among the most devout Jewish people, there was a general desire to not only avoid Samaritans, but to avoid Samaria. To say that there was no love lost between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people, that's an understatement. I mean, even though they both lived under the rule and realm of the Roman Empire, that's about the extent of their cohabitation. They were divided politically, they were divided ethnically, racially, and religiously. Listen, it was a rift that would never be repaired, it was never going to be fixed. Samaritans were a people of a mixed race, mixed culture, mixed customs, and a mix of religions. Here's the interesting thing. Both of them worshiped the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They both did, but they both saw it differently. They interpreted it differently. The Jewish people viewed the temple in Jerusalem as the place to worship God. The Samaritans… They only held as authorized the first five books of Moses. That's the only scripture they recognized as authoritative. They didn't buy into all those psalms and all those prophecies and all that poetry. And so they viewed the place to worship God was Mount Gerizim, which overlooks the city of Shechem. So they're both, they're both looking at the same God, they're both reading somewhat the same scriptures, but they've come away with it with different interpretations, and neither one of them is going to budge. And so this reading of the Bible that way, only the first five books, it led the Samaritans to, theologically speaking, and literally speaking, camp in this area near where God, where Abraham first built an altar to God. So here's two groups of people. They disagree on politics and policy. They disagree on culture and the creative arts. They disagree on religion and theology. They disagree on everything, so much so that even the Jewish people thought of themselves as more superior and avoided Samaritans at all costs. So it's really interesting, and we have to pay attention every time in the Scripture you see that Jesus, when he's teaching or telling a story, he makes the Samaritan a hero. It's fascinating. Now, the historian Josephus tells us that under the right situation, given the right scenario, a devout Jewish person would cut like mad through the shortest route. It's a bit like trying to go through a large metropolitan city and you got to go right downtown through it. Roll the windows up, kids. We're going through. And so on occasion they would do this. But there's something that you need to see in verse 4. See, John tells us, and look at this phrase, and he had to pass through Samaria. He had to pass Where none preferred to pass, none shall pass, Jesus chose to pass. What John is trying to tell us here is that Jesus is compelled to pass. He's compelled to take this route, to go this way on his way to Galilee. And because he is compelled to do this, he arrives at the well of Jacob the moment before a Samaritan woman comes at a precise moment to draw water. So here you have these two decisions, time to go, the route that we take. And you have this woman making her own decisions, and both of those decisions collide there at the well. Have you ever experienced... Such a random encounter at such a random place and such a random time of day. Has that ever happened to you? Okay, so several years ago, back in the summer of 2018, Beth and Madison and I, we decided to take a road trip and go visit our son, Reese, in Idaho. Uh, Reese was in Idaho, and he was working on a grouse. He's a wildlife biologist, and he was working on a grouse research project. So we decided to take a little drive and go see him. Reese and his co-workers had gone into town one fine Easter Sunday to pick up some chicks. They bought some chickens. You know, chicken chicks. Peeps? Baby chickens? I said, why'd you buy the chickens? They said, oh, we thought it'd be fun to have eggs. You're a what? Do you know how long it takes for chickens? Anyway, different story. Because we were driving there and driving back, Reese asked us, can you take my chickens back for you? Yes, Alex, I'll take bizarre, take care of my animal requests for my children for $1,000, please. Ryan, did you ever do this to your parents? Did you ever do weird animal things? I mean, I thought it maybe was something with wildlife biologists. Well, see, his research assignment was ending in July, and he was going to meet us in Mexico for our mission trip, and it's not like you can just slap a vest on a chicken and call them support animals and put them on a plane, but I bet you somebody's going to try at some point. Anyway, so we took the pet carrier with us, we drove from Idaho to Missouri, and we we, we drove there, and we drove back from Idaho to Missouri with two chickens in tow. Now, we had several stops along the way, so we weren't going to rush our trip home because we thought this would be a good opportunity to stop and see some of the good high culture things in South Dakota, like Wall's Drugstore, Mount Rushmore, and the Corn Palace, right? When in Rome, we had no set schedule no immediate itinerary. We would drive, we would see things, and we would stop where, somewhere for the night. Okay, so all that to say this, we arrive in northern Missouri on a random day in June at a random time. We pull into a random gas station in a random town. I'm filling up the truck, and I go back, and I'm checking on the chickens. Every time we'd stop, I'd give them some water. Chickens travel especially well, by the way, just in case you're wondering. And I'm seeing if the ladies need to stretch their legs or they want anything from the store. And the chickens said no. A woman filling up her car two pumps away from us notices that I have a crate in the back of the car. And she comes over and says, hey, what do you have there? Oh, we start telling her the story. Our son's a wildlife biologist and we're bringing his chickens back. She goes, no way. I'm a wildlife biologist. And I often carry animals around with me in my car as well. She says, I work for a local company here in town doing research. We said, oh, what's the name of the company? And she gave us the name of the company, and I said, no way. Our son has just applied to work for this company for his next project. She says, oh, yeah, what's his name? And we told him her his name, and we said our goodbyes, little peck on the cheek. and we went on our way. And a few days later, Reese called us and says, hey, I got that job in northern Missouri. Random town, random time, random gas station, random woman. that lady that we met, she was the project manager in charge of hiring and hired him which proves once again that it's not who you know, it's who you can get to drive your chickens home for you. (laughs) So listen, it's really wonderful to see these moments of time where God is at work. But God is no less at work. He is no less working for our good. He is no less with us, even when we can't see, and even when we struggle to see. But there's a harder truth that we all have to accept, God is no less for us. He is no less with us. He is no less working all things for our ultimate good when things don't work out as we expect. And this is the real power of meeting God in the unexpected places of our life. You see, in these opening verses of John 4, we see two decisions that Jesus made. First, He chooses to leave Judea and go to Galilee. And second, He chooses the road to pass through Samaria. And he walks all morning long and he meets at the well of Jacob, this precise spot in the middle of the day to meet a woman. These two decisions, these two choices, they put him into the path of the woman from Samaria. An unexpected encounter in an unexpected place. Commentaries pay a lot of attention to what Jesus is doing here. They're asking these two questions Is this a divine appointment or just an opportune moment? Yeah, there was another way to go. Sure, there was a different day he could have left. Sure, there was a different time he could have traveled. Don't get wrapped up in the madness of things you should have done or shouldn't have done. Don't beat yourself up about, boy, I wish I could make this decision over again. Man, if I'd just done this, if I'd I'd just done that, as if you've missed some kind of opportunity. Because we don't believe a God who can only work things for good, who is only with us and is only for us if we make the right choice. That's not the God that we believe in. We trust a God who can work through any choice we make, even when the choice doesn't seem like it was the best choice even when the choice is a bad choice. That's the kind of God that we serve. That's the kind of God we believe in. That's the kind of God we trust in, who is for us, who is with us, who is ultimately working all things for our good. It breaks down this idea of meeting God in unexpected places, in unexpected times. It breaks down this whole notion that the only place that you can meet God is here in this building. I mean, don't get me wrong. We'd love for you to meet God here. We'd love for you to have an encounter with Jesus, but the odds are, just going purely by the odds, that you're going to be somewhere else when you meet Him, that something else is going to be happening when you encounter and experience God. So, these four verses tell us to pay attention to the unexpected places in your life. Pay attention to these unexpected moments. See, The Jewish people and the Samaritan people, they both thought they would meet God in their temples. And Jesus says something remarkable to this woman. The time is coming when you're going to meet Him somewhere else. And just for that woman, God was standing in front of her. I think we're more likely to encounter God in a weary and thirsty world. So we need to be prepared to meet Him. We can meet Him in the silence and solitude of our prayer and contemplation. We can meet Him in the chaos and the cacophony of raising children. We can meet Him in the hectic, harried halls of our workplace, of our school. We can meet Him in peace in pause and rest. We can meet Him when things are going as well as they could go. And we can meet Him when things are going as bad as they can go. These verses teach us that if we have eyes to see, that if we have ears to hear, that we can expect to meet Jesus in unexpected places, and He can change our life. Let's pray. Lord, it's taken us a while, but we figured out that we can't change ourselves. So we need you to do this work from within. It's one thing to be here, and it's delightful to praise you, to glorify you. But we trust you and believe you and follow you because we know that you're going to meet us in our moment of deepest pain and despair and doubt. So, Lord, open our eyes to meet you in these unexpected places, in the moment of our need, in the moment where we need you most. That we can give you praise, honor, and glory. We pray through Jesus. Amen. We're going to stand again and we're going to share in one more song, and our elders are going to be down front. And this morning, if you would, on your heart, if the Spirit is calling you to meet Jesus, maybe that's the last thing you had on your mind when you came to be here today.